0: are doing great. After my last appearance on the Black Pill podcast with Shane and Ken and doing a deep dive into the life of Donald Trump, I started receiving heinous messages and threats, so I needed to step away. Um, As most of you know, I deleted my Twitter account, which was probably the best thing for me. I wasn't planning on ever stepping away from this type of research and work, but over time, I realized that it's become a never-ending distraction that keeps you away from yourself. I think it's super important to research and dig, and if it is in you, this desire to understand why the world is so fucked up, something undeniable that's burning inside you, um, I understand why people do it. I understand why people want to learn. I have felt that way my entire life, asking questions of why are we here? What is the purpose of life? What does it mean to be human? What is my purpose in this life? And I never knew too many people in my life who thought like I did, never even questioned it. And to me, it's totally insane because these are all things that I think about all the time. And I've been away from Twitter and research for almost two months now. And it was probably the best decision I have made in a long time. I was 100% gang stalked, harassed to the point where I just had to go. And it wasn't only on Twitter, it was my personal email, which I eventually deleted also. But after some thought, I also realized that these gang stalkers could easily be artificial intelligence, as crazy as that sounds. I do not count that out. I also find myself in a strange place after leaving and deleting all of my social media and removing myself from the conspiracy world. It's almost become a conundrum in my life because I went from consuming dark research and keeping up with the news every day, listening to podcasts, and all of it kept me in this state of doom and gloom, this dark place that gave me a false sense of purpose. Like I was this truth warrior trying to tell my family and friends all the bad things that were coming and why they shouldn't get the vax, and it was just this never-ending loop of losing more and more people in my life because I was so outspoken. This was probably last year, it was the worst, but I was in the abyss of all of it and I couldn't even see that. And I've realized that people are going to wake up on their own time. And it's not my job to wake people up. I think this work is super important. I think with the internet and podcasts, you know, there are so many great people doing great work and spreading knowledge. And I love that. It's just, The fear porn I have a problem with. And I think it is a distraction that keeps people away from focusing on their life and their happiness. And trying to live a life in this world, knowing everything I know can be very strange at times. And I know I'm not the only one who feels like that. Consuming negative news stories and research, trying to Contrast that with living a more positive life right now, I find myself being pulled back towards the matrix. And I don't know if that's going to make sense to everybody, but whether it's going to work, uh, being involved in my kids' school, dealing with health professionals, it's a very strange place to be. It's a blessing and a curse. And what I think is going on is that people like you and me, those who are awake, those who are in tune with what's going on in the spiritual realm, we have already ascended to that higher place where we don't focus on the material things and we are focused on our free will, our sovereignty, our freedom, the well being of our soul, which is why we will not get this vaccine. It's why we have been awake since Trump declared the country in a state of emergency. That's why we have been against this from the very beginning. We know what they are doing because we can see it. And deep down, we know there is something not right about it. And as a truther, it is really difficult navigating through life, being surrounded by people who are completely asleep and have no interest in psychological warfare or spiritual warfare. And they just aren't ready to ascend and they aren't ready to face it. It's important to remember that the normies do not participate in spiritual and psychological warfare. They don't involve themselves with it. And that's what creates the chasm between us. They are oblivious because they put all of their cards into the hands of the government. They have that trust. They give up their sovereignty for the greater good and to virtue signal and to think they are on the good side. They haven't reached the ascension. But wait, because when the globalists start taking away their food, their material things, and fucking with their kids, they are going to wake up. And I already feel like the globalists are losing and they only have a few chess moves left. We will win this war and it will be long. So stay strong, stick to your beliefs, and do not under any circumstance sell out to the globalists. With that being said, I wanted to say thank you for all of the kind messages and for reaching out to me. I really appreciate it. And I miss all of you like old friends. I I miss talking to you. I miss sharing research, but it does take so much out of me at times and I, I just needed to take a step back. So life is good. All is good. And today I wanted to share my research and discuss my issues with The Holocaust, controlled opposition, the Black nobility, the Jesuits, and the media. I wanted to record today because I've been sitting on this information for months and just feel like it's time to just let it go. So let's get right into it. Controlled opposition is defined as counterintelligence propaganda and is carried out today legally under the Smith-Mundt Modernization Act. This act is social engineering. It's the systematic molding and brainwashing of the individual mind to conform to group think, the one preferred ideology. That is controlled opposition. And the best example of controlled opposition right now is the woke ideology. The Smith-Month Act was brought to President Harry Truman by South Dakota Senator from South Dakota, uh, Carl Munt, And what's interesting is that it was passed into law in 1948 by Harry S. Truman. Now this act declared that, and I quote, truth can be a powerful weapon. And that certain entities are forbidden to report truths in the United States that are against the United States government. And what's really interesting is that this bill is centered around Nazi-style propaganda, including the Holocaust. Now, I have spent years reading about the Holocaust and Hitler and trying to decipher what the hell actually happened during the Holocaust, because in my mind, any story pushed by the public schools in history class or by mainstream media is most likely not true. I've lived through 9-11, Sandy Hook, the Boston bombing, Columbine, and now COVID. And in my 38 years of living, everything that is mainstream narrative always seems to be um, true. So in my humble opinion, the Holocaust falls right in line with this type of thinking. And I'm very skeptical about the Holocaust, especially after learning that there was a plague, a disease going around in Europe at the time called typhus and lice. And we've all heard this before, but why are so many alternative stories about typhus and lice not being reported? And I've read that these so-called gas chambers were actually built for the people who had typhus and lice. And the Nazis put them in these gas chambers to eliminate the virus. And that's what they were doing. That was their intention. And all we hear about is the fact that the Nazis rounded up 6 million Jews starved them, put them in gas chambers, and the rest is history. And of course, we've seen the images of the million shoes and the clothes and the black and white photography, which makes it so much more dramatic. The still images of the piles of bones, not to mention the Polish concentration camp that they proved never existed. And I believe it was near the Warsaw West train station. There was a professor named Javi Dreyfus, who claimed that the mass deaths of the Holocaust were, in fact, fake history. And he is actually out of Tel Aviv, Israel. A Polish-Canadian professor by the name of Jan Grabowski says it is all conspiracy and not true. So if the Holocaust was real, why are so many people saying it was fake? And of course, these people are censored. My problem with the Holocaust is that to this day, If you live outside of the United States, you can go to prison for even questioning it, like in Czechoslovakia or Poland. And as you know, I was on Rockfin at one time and wanted to publish a video about the Holocaust and my problems with the story. But Rockfin, who claims to be anti-censorship, does not allow fake Holocaust videos on their platform. You are not even allowed to discuss the Holocaust. And I know people who have had their videos removed because of this. So why does Rockfin claim to be anti-censorship if you can't question the Holocaust? You know, why can't anyone in the world question it? Does it make sense that allegedly all the Jews died in the early 40s during the Holocaust, but then in 1947... Israel becomes a state and bam, all the Jews are in Israel. I mean, think about it. These are dangerous conversations. And this is why I believe the Holocaust next to COVID might be one of the biggest controlled opposition stories in the world. I mean, you can't even bring up that the Holocaust might not have happened the way they told us to anybody. And they will say, no, you're crazy. Like I've seen the pictures. There's no way. I mean, I tried having this conversation with my mom and I got nowhere fast. Like it's just the programming of the Holocaust is so strong. It's just like COVID. And so many groups of people have had genocide, but there is something sacred about the Jews. No one can question the Jews. And if you do, you're an anti-Semite. And I just ask why, like, why can I question everything else? But this topic is off limits. It makes me all the more skeptical of not only the Jews and their obsession with people giving them 24-7 sympathy for almost a century, and remorse, but it also makes me question Hitler. No, was Hitler really that bad? I'm no expert, but just based on my research on controlled opposition in the media, I would beg to differ. And this is not kosher with people, pun intended. I want to say, fuck the Jews. Why are they so special? Why can't we question them? We are all special. I just don't understand why we can't question it and why people are going to prison for even speaking of it. And this also brings me to the story of Christopher Columbus. Now, there is an alternate story about Christopher Columbus, that he was actually a Sephardic Jew from Spain and was about to be kicked out of the country. And the story goes that he made a deal with the Black nobility Colonna family of Vatican City. Now the house of Colonna were famous for having a feud with the house of Orsini over who would take control of the Vatican and of course if you look at the Colonna coat of arms it depicts the column which is a symbol for political power Christopher Columbus uh, not that that was his real name Columbus was a totally fake name given to him by the Colonnas the house of Colonna are the owners of everything Columbus they owned Christopher Columbus. They owned the District of Columbia, the Colombo crime family, Knights of Columbus. The Statue of Liberty is the goddess of Columbia. I was watching one of my favorite 80s movies, Adventures in Babysitting, a couple weeks ago, and... I've seen this movie hundreds of times, but as I watched the opening scene, I saw that it was directed by Christopher Columbus. So, of course, I paused it and Googled director Christopher Columbus, and it turned out that he also directed all of the Harry Potter films and Home Alone. Now, do you remember the interview that Macaulay Culkin did in 2018 with the French radio station Les Echos? In this interview, Macaulay Culkin accused the entertainment industry elite of being bloodthirsty Satanists who ritually kill child actors. And he basically called them satanic pedophiles, saying that they ritually abuse children in the entertainment industry. That was a quote. Uh, Macaulay Culkin also claimed that he was able to get out alive because he was a smart and suspicious child. And he also mentioned um, that the worst of them wear the shoes made from the skin of children, the red leather shoes. And he also said, quote, you learn very early which of those want to abuse you and which of them have even darker tastes. So he was talking about the set of Home Alone. This was directed by Christopher Columbus. This is no coincidence. And the English name Collins derives from the name Colonna. And arguably the Collins family in America are the most influential and powerful family in America today, or at least top three. And the Collins family owns Columbia Pictures in Hollywood. This is no coincidence. The Kelowna Black nobility family also oversees the mafias in Chicago and Cleveland. The Knights of Columbus have infiltrated police departments all over the country and assist the Italian mafias in America. And if you Google supreme officers of the Knights of Columbus, you will also notice that most of them are Jesuit educated. This is no coincidence. And many of them attended Jesuit Fordham, which is where Donald Trump went. And what's interesting about the pillars is that it is Roman architecture that is all over Washington, D.C. The two pillars are also the symbol of Freemasonry. And Donald Trump's apartment has two pillars, and in between them is the statue of Apollo. Now, the cult of Apollo is associated with the Black nobility and the papal bloodlines. And if you remember, in Greek mythology, Apollo is the father of the Antichrist. And the Antichrist's mother is Coronis. Now, it is also true that the House of Colonna oversee the royal order of the Jesters and the Oddfellows, which oversee bizarre rituals full of depraved fetishes that I won't even speak of. And it's my belief that these Black nobility families have agents working for them and have been working for a long time. And speaking of agents, let's talk about Fidel Castro for a minute. Fidel Castro was a Jesuit-educated man in Havana, Cuba, and Castro's rise to power was directed and financed by the Italian-Spanish nobility so that they could set up a criminal haven in the Americas, which is why they named it Havana. Haven, Havana. It is my opinion that Cuba is a mafia hideaway. And this is why La Cosa Nostra had one of their most well-known meetings in Cuba, known as the Havana Conference of 1946, which was set up by Genovese boss, Lucky Luciano. And I also believe that Cuba was set up to be a hideaway for public figures who want to fake their own deaths. And it was Niccolo Machiavelli who wrote, and I quote, fake your death to fool your enemies, end quote. The Machiavelli's and the Farnese's were involved in military tactics just like this, and it has been written that Luigi Farnese was actually Niccolo Machiavelli's handler. And I also don't think it's crazy to say that Tupac could have faked his death and could be hiding out in Cuba, and his alter ego was in fact Machiavelli. Chicago crime boss Sam Giancana also attended the Havana Conference, and has been linked to the Bay of Pigs incident and the JFK assassination. Now, there's also speculation that the term Bay of Pigs was code for Spanish House of Pignatelli, who had strong ties with the Vatican and the Jesuits. And this also ties into the Spanish House of Bourbon, who oversees the Jesuits now via Prince Carlo. And Prince Carlo is a descendant of the House of Farnese and a member of Donald Trump's mar And if you look at what Kennedy was doing 10 days before he was assassinated, he signed the Green Hilton Agreement, which has to do with gold, that was allocated to the United States. And he was issuing treasury dollars, not dollars issued by the Federal Reserve, which was set up by the Jews. The difference is that when dollars are printed by the Fed, Americans have to pay interest on it. And JFK was taking on the monster that is the Federal Reserve off the back of the American citizens. And this is not the vision the elites slash the Jews slash the Jesuits had for America. JFK was working to distribute 59,000 tons of gold to Americans. And 10 days later, he was killed. And who was head of the CIA when Kennedy was killed? It was John McCone, a knight of Malta. The Knights of Malta is who JFK called out before he was assassinated when he was talking about the secret societies. And this group works with the Jesuits. They are mafia. So let's ask ourselves why not one person in our government has tried to move the country away from the Federal Reserve. It's because the Department of Defense acts as though they are above the law. They are protected and controlled by foreign entities like the Council on Foreign Relations and the Jesuits. And now there is another link that is important to mention, and this is the Council of Governors, which was established in 2010 through Executive Order 13528 by Barack Obama. One governor from each of the FEMA regions. There are 10 governors for each of the 10 FEMA regions. This is co-chaired by Mike DeWine, who is the current governor of Ohio, who happens to be a devout Roman Catholic. Now, this group's job is to establish order in case there needs to be martial law. So where was this group when Trump declared the country under medical martial law in 2020? They were gone. They were out to lunch. And everything they are doing is complicit with the powers that be and is completely 100% illegal. And it's because they are answering to the Jesuits. And if you look at the last three chairmen of the Joint Chief of Staff for the U.S. military, they have all been Roman Catholic or members of the Knights of Malta. And I'm going to read a quote from Abraham Lincoln, who once said, quote, I feel more and more every day that it is not against the Americans of the South alone I am fighting. It is more against the Pope of Rome and his perfidious Jesuits. And this version of history and the real controlled opposition takes us to Anglo-American establishment of America in the early 1900s. And what the Illuminati establishment did in America was brilliant for their control. They divided the establishment into two departments, liberals versus conservatives. And because of this, there would never be a way out. Americans would be forced to pick a side they resonated with, and that was their model. So let's talk about the differences between liberals and conservatives. Now, looking back on the last 100 years, or back to 1900, you can say with a definitive stance that liberals are pro-immigration No border security, pro United Nations, pro Council on Foreign Relations, pro Trilateral Commission, pro climate change, anti nuclear, pro Arab wars for oil, pro Afghanistan invasions, anti Iraq invasions, and moderately religious, too atheist, or new age and pro abortion. I think that's a fair assessment. Conservatives, on the other hand, are pro legal immigration, pro border security. Anti United Nations, anti CFR, anti Trilateral Commission, pro nuclear, pro Arab wars for oil, pro Iraq invasion, rigid, rigidly religious, and anti abortion. So, the way it is laid out, there are already sets of rules in place, the teams are set, and now it is up to the individual to decide who they relate with. I mean, don't you think it's crazy how the liberals are pro abortion and the conservatives are? pro-death penalty, and it's the opposite for each one. It makes no sense. At the end of the day, they're both pro-death. It is not possible for someone who is pro-abortion to also be anti-immigration. You can't be pro-climate change and pro-nuclear at the same time. They have set up this system where it is virtually impossible to even have conversations regarding one's political or religious view without getting into some sort of confrontation, argument, or debate. And some would say that's a good thing. But in 1840, there was a Canadian politician and judge, Thomas Chandler Halliburton, who was the first one to say, and I quote, never discuss religion or politics with those who hold opinions opposite to yours. They are subjects that heat in handling until they burn your fingers, end quote. Now, the next time we hear this etiquette rule comes straight from John D. Rockefeller himself. And John D. Rockefeller said in 1905, never discuss politics or religion if you want to succeed. End quote. And this was taken from an article written by Ida Tarbell, who wrote biographies on the Rockefellers and Abraham Lincoln. And it was Rockefeller who put this thought into American culture. Now, Ida Tarbell might be one of the first controlled opposition writers in the 20th century. Ida was paid to write for the Rockefellers and went on to write for all of the American Illuminati criminal institutions like the Ford Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation, Robert Brookings, who founded the think tank Brookings Institute. And there would be no United Nations today if it weren't for the Brookings Institute. The Brookings Institute was founded by Robert Brookings in 1916 and is still one of the most powerful institutions in the world when it comes to U.S. policies next to the Council on Foreign Relations. And what's interesting about Brookings is that they don't claim to be right or left, but centrist. And since its inception, they have donated money to both liberal and conservative presidential candidates that serve their policies, and it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you fall on. And actually, President George W. Bush uh, was granted the most money from this organization. So going back to Ida Tarbell, her legacy is that her writing and journalism laid the groundwork for legal and ethical standards in the 20th century. But the question is, how can we trust knowing that she was the writer, the liberal woman who touted the spread of liberalism. She wrote biographies of the American billionaire superclass. All of her work painted the Rockefellers and company to be nothing more than successful Anglo-Americans who worked hard for what they had, but left out all the details that would make any rational person question their motives. For example, Ida Tarbell wrote an article for McClure magazine on eugenics. And she was considered the greatest investigative journalist of her day. So to put it in a modern context, this is the equivalent of like a Rachel Maddow writing about eugenicist Bill Gates or discussing him on her show. Okay. So let's go back to the beginning. How did this all start? And it started with the Western Anglo-Saxon Protestants, otherwise known as WASPs, or Americans of British descent or related to the royal families of Europe establishment. And nowadays, you might call them Ivy Leaguers or the Good Old Boy Network, something like that. But these men and women have much in common. They share similar traits, and they can be described as an elite group connected to the same universities, think tanks, banks, law firms, financial and insurance corporations, and privately funded companies. This elite group is centered in New York and stems out to the nations through non-governmental organizations, otherwise known as NGOs. They have close relations to Black nobility families, especially the House of Windsor. They are Freemasons, Templars, Catholics, Zionists, Muslims, etc. But they go around acting like they don't get along, even though their diplomatic relations are always maintained through globalization. So now I have painted a picture of what the elites look like in America. And this all started with the Pilgrim Society. This was during the time of the second industrial revolution, which started around 1870 and lasted until 1947. This rapid development period started in Britain and Germany and trickled into America. When the Pilgrim Society came to America, this was the time of coal Railroads for transportation, iron, steel, electrification, petroleum, the light bulb, paper printing, rubber, bicycles, automobiles, the rotary phone, etc. But the biggest first major success was the Transcontinental Railroad. And this led to the heyday of Wall Street. And Wall Street plays a huge role with the Pilgrim Society. And I would say Wall Street is the new Pilgrim Society. The first billion-dollar company in America was the United States Steel, founded by J.P. Morgan, with the help of Andrew Carnegie. 23 Wall Street sits in the headquarters of J.P. Morgan in New York, and the Southern Railway was allegedly owned by the Paysour family of South Carolina, who hired Leroy Springs to be their principal trustee. This railroad was operated by the Springs family until it was succeeded by Norfolk Southern Railway. Now, there are multiple authors who have claimed that Leroy Springs was actually a man by the name of A.A. A. Springs and was the secret Rothschild father of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln's mom, Nancy Hanks, allegedly visited family members in Lincolntown, North Carolina. And it was during this trip that she was impregnated with A.A. Springs' son, and instead of taking the, the name Springs, she took the name of the town and named him Abe Lincoln from Lincolntown. Now, you might think, okay, that's a strange story and you can't prove it. But actually, there was an author by the name of Alex Christopher who wrote a book called Pandora's Box. and He claimed that during his research, he discovered the will of A.A. Springs. And the will mentioned his real son, Abraham Lincoln, and that they were Jewish the Southern Railway, which was operated by Leroy Springs or AA Springs, named one of the railways Nancy Hanks after Abraham's mother. So is it a coincidence that AA Springs happened to name one of his railways after Abraham Lincoln's mother if they never met? How random. And it kind of ties it all together for me. And of course, we know that Tom Hanks is related to Abe Lincoln, which means that Tom Hanks is a secret Rothschild. And the Paysour family also allegedly hired members of the Pilgrim Society to run their companies, which were Andrew Carnegie, John D. Rockefeller, J.P. Morgan, the Vanderbilts, etc. And according to the book Holy Blood, Holy Grail, the researchers of this book discovered that the governments in Europe had tampered with bloodline documents and said there is no doubt this is happening in the United States. Now, Lindsay Russell, a powerful lawyer from New York and a member of the Illuminati Russell family, was working in London in the early 1900s and was setting up his law firm Alexander and Colby when he met Harry Britton, Joseph Wheeler, and Henry Potter. Now, these three discussed starting the Pilgrim Society and had their first meeting in 1902. They elected a president who was Lord Roberts of London, and vice president was Chauncey DePoe, who was a member of Skull and Bones, and the lawyer to Cornelius Vanderbilt, and a member of the Corsair Club with John Rockefeller and JP Morgan. He was also the lawyer for the railroad systems in America, specifically the New York Central Railroad System, and later on became an honorary member of Phi Beta Kappa. After this successful meeting of 1902, these men contacted J.P. Morgan, John Rockefeller, and President Grover Cleveland to establish the first meeting in America, which was held in 1903 at the Waldorf Astoria, which is a luxury hotel in Manhattan and was acquired by Conrad Hilton in the 40s. The Waldorf Astoria was named after the German town of Waldorf, where the Illuminati family, the German Astors, derived. And now early members of the Pilgrim Society included the Astors, Baker, Carnegie, Dillon, Dodge, DuPont, Harriman, Mellon, Meyer, Morgan, Reynolds, Rockefeller, Rothschild, Sassoon, Schiff, Vanderbilt, Warburg, Windsor, etc., Now, if you do a search on any of these names, they will connect you to banks, law firms, Hollywood, Wall Street, the car and railroad companies, and the beginning of computers, for example, IBM. The Pilgrims are known for holding dinners for all U.S. ambassadors to the United Kingdom. The U.S. ambassador to the United Kingdom is regarded as the most important and prestigious relationship for a U.S. foreign service. Now, the last ambassador to the United Kingdom was Woody Johnson, who was heir to the Johnson & Johnson Company, and he was appointed by Donald Trump. And they were friends for over 30 years and had special connections, and he helped raise $1 billion for Trump's campaign in 2016. And Trump appointed him to be the U.S. ambassador in 2017. The current ambassador was appointed by Joe Biden. And her name is Yale Lempert, and she is a graduate of Georgetown Jesuit and was appointed because Woody Johnson stepped down. Notable members of the Pilgrim Society include the Rockefellers, John F. Kennedy's dad, Joseph Kennedy, Prince Philip, Prince Charles, Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands who started Bilderberg, Alan Dulles, the first CIA director, Henry Kissinger, and many, many more. And it is through the Pilgrim Society that created print media and television as we know it today. And two of the biggest publications from the Pilgrims are Time Magazine and the New York Times. The key financiers of these publications were J.P. Morgan, Thomas Lamont, and Harriman, who were all pilgrims. John Whitney, who was the vice president of the Pilgrims, bought out the New York Tribune and ran that until 1966, and Reader's Digest magazine has always been managed by Pilgrim members. So now you're starting to see a pattern. The Pilgrim Society news station is the Radio Corporation of America, also known as RCA, which was taken over by Pilgrim Owen Young and moved the company to 30 Rockefeller Plaza in New York and is known as the famous RCA building. And it was the most dominant broadcasting company up until the 1970s. In 1926, RCA founded National Broadcasting Company, NBC. And NBC became so dominant that the Federal Communications Commission forced the company to split into two companies. And out of this split came the American broadcasting company known as ABC. Columbia Broadcasting System, CBS, was bought out by William Paley in 1926, and he was also a Pilgrim. Walter Cronkite, who was the main CBS Nightly News anchor and dubbed the most trusted man in America, was also a member of the Pilgrim Society. Henry Kissinger, who is a member of the Trilateral Commission, CFR, Bilderberg, Bohemian Club, the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Aspen Institute. And he also served on the board of CBS and has been a paid contributor to NBC and ABC. Henry Kissinger's wife Nancy was the long-term aide to Senator Nelson Rockefeller and met Henry Kissinger when she was at Harvard and he was her professor. She went on to work for the Rockefeller Brothers Fund and other Rockefeller projects. Henry Kissinger's son David started his career at ABC as a desk assistant and is now the president of Conan O'Brien's production company, Conoco. So, what we need to understand about these three networks ABC, NBC, and CBS is that they are still owned and controlled by the same people and over the century have merged and split, and it's all very confusing. But if you go to the very tippy-top, they are all under the same umbrella. And I'm sure most people have seen the graphics of who controls the media, and we all know it's literally owned by the same corporations and people. But let me give you an example, and I'm going to use CBS. Paramount Pictures was founded in 1912. CBS was founded in 1927. Paramount bought 40% of CBS two years later and then went on to become Desilu Productions. Then, Golf & Western buys Paramount in 1966 and renames the company CBS Enterprises. Then they renamed CBS Enterprises to Viacom. Viacom then spins off to become its own company, leaving the remaining company to go back to CBS. In 1985, Viacom buys Showtime and MTV. A year later, in 1986, National Amusements buys Viacom, and the company is now fully owned by Sumner Redstone. In 1994, Viacom rebuys Paramount Pictures, and Westinghouse buys CBS. In 2001, Viacom buys BET, and then the company splits into two companies. One is the CBS Corporation, and the second is Viacom. In 2019, these companies merged to become Viacom CBS. And nothing has changed but the legalities and the name. And now apply this to NBC, ABC, Fox, MGM, Walt Disney, any major news corporation. They are just name changes, all owned by the same people with the same liberal woke agendas. And other pilgrim-controlled media organizations are Reuters, The Observer, The Economist, Random House, and Simon & Schuster. ABC has ABC Family, ABC Kids, ABC Productions, ABC Signature, and they are all connected to Walt Disney. And it just goes on. Not to mention all of the Pilgrims have attended Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Georgetown, Columbia, Dartmouth, and Oxford. It's always the same universities doing the same grooming. In the 1970s, there were documents that came out implicating the CIA with Operation Mockingbird and claim that the Washington Post was a CIA news operation. Now think of how many of these are out there. And controlled by either the CIA or the elites. And these CIA journalists or the liberal CIA, which is what I call them, are all controlled by the pilgrims of America today and are still influenced by globalization and liberal agendas. All you have to do is turn on any news network to see what I'm talking about. But you already know that. And don't think that the right wing media isn't controlled because they are controlled, too. Fox News is owned by Disney, but the Murdoch family retains control. But it was turned into a corporation which now owns ESPN, National Geographic, FX, Hulu, History Channel, Lifetime, and the list goes on. There is a group called the Georgetown Set, which was founded after the World War II. The first key members of this group were members of the Office of Strategic Services, otherwise known as the OSS, which went on to become the CIA in 1947. One of the main men was Frank Wisner, and Frank Wisner started lobbying for a new intelligence agency, and out of this came the Office of Special Projects, and then was renamed to the Office of Policy Coordination, and this became the espionage branch of the CIA, Operation Mockingbird was established to influence American media and recruit CIA agents and agent provocateurs to the mix. And this is still going on today. And according to Alex Constantine, in 1950 alone, there were 3,000 salaried CIA agents who engaged in media interviews, newspaper articles, that were strictly put out by the CIA as propaganda. And this is in 1950. And this is also including Tavistock and their own propagandists like Walter Lippmann who was most likely CIA. And now some of these publications that have been linked to Operation Mockingbird since then were the Miami Herald, the New York Times, Time Magazine, Rolling Stone, Newsweek, Chicago Daily News, the Washington Star, the New York Post, and more. The fact is there has never been independent news. All of them have been financed and controlled by major business tycoons of the American Illuminati. And if a real independent company were to come along, the CIA would not hesitate to band together and dismantle it. Shane Smith, the founder of Vice, Vice Media, sold out to George Soros. Vice is owned by Soros. Gaia TV is owned by BlackRock. Netflix is owned by the same three companies that own the Pfizer vaccination. And I believe those companies are BlackRock, Bailey Gifford, and Vanguard. Alex Jones was syndicated by Genesis Communications Network out of Minnesota, which is owned by Ted Anderson. Now, Ted Anderson, uh, despite having a communications network, he also sold gold and silver. So when he went into business with Jones, it was a match made in fear porn heaven. Because Alex Jones has been touting the end of the world scenarios since the 90s. He is fear-mongering his listeners to buy gold and silver from Ted Anderson. But his listeners don't know that. And you know that Alex Jones got a piece of that money. I mean, Alex Jones is a millionaire millionaire. And now other people would probably argue that he's just straight-up CIA or Mossad, and he very well could be, considering that his father was a dentist for the CIA, and he has openly admitted that he has other family members that are in the CIA, like his uncle and cousin. I mean, he could be a double agent. Who knows? But I have a problem with the fact that he snuck into Bohemian Grove. I mean, to me, that's just fucking ridiculous. You don't just sneak into Bohemian Grove and film it. So when you think about an Alex Jones, for example, you know, he may claim to be funded via his brain supplements, but I really question it. You know, he has collectively 6 million listeners a week, which is significantly more than CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox combined. And as of 2021, Fox is the most watched cable news network in America. And we know that CNN... Is owned by Warner Media, which is now owned by AT and T. It's just this huge conspiratorial umbrella. Now, I think that if people are out there trying to wake people up and spread truths, you know, how can I bash that? How can I bash Alex Jones when basically everything he has ever said has come true, and I believe most of it? But whether he is controlled or not, that's another story. Now, Abby Martin is another one, and she got her career going uh, when she co-directed the film about Occupy Wall Street and sits on the board for the Media Freedom Foundation, which oversees Project Censored. Project Censored is funded by the Tides Foundation, and the Tides Foundation is funded by George Soros. Project Censored features the work of Abby Martin, Oliver Stone, Noam Chomsky, Phil Donahue, and more. So my question is, do these people know they are funded by George Soros? Like, how could you not know that? Um, another guy who comes to mind is Tim Poole. He got propped up during Occupy Wall Street as well when his drone footage was shown on NBC. Now, how does someone organically land themselves on NBC? Not to mention he wears that hat when he does nearly every single interview he has ever done. I mean, Tim Pool looks like a character to me. And Occupy Wall Street was represented by the Guy Fawkes mask, otherwise known as the hacker group Anonymous. Well, Guy Fawkes was a Jesuit priest. And Anonymous calls itself a legion, and that's what Roman militias were called, legions. All roads lead to Rome. Stephen Greer has been linked to Lawrence Rockefeller and visited his ranch with Hillary Clinton in the 90s. The Rockefellers have been linked to funding UFO and alien research for decades. And most of this alien Information I believe to be disinformation. Now, John Podesta and Hillary Clinton worked together on alien research at the Esselin Institute. The Esselin Institute brought us Hunter S. Thompson. These people are characters to me. And we heard about adrenochrome for the first time from Hunter S. Thompson in his book, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So, was Hunter S. Thompson a whistleblower? Or was it a revelation of the method, predictive programming? You know, was this controlled op? Did they have adrenochrome in the script? Was the script written already? You know, these are the questions I ask myself. And what's really crazy is if you look at a picture of John Podesta, he looks identical to Lawrence Rockefeller and Chester Bennington looks identical to John Podesta. So was Chester Bennington a Rockefeller? It's really insane, so go Google that. But when I think of controlled opposition, it always takes me back to the same groups and the Rockefellers, and the UFO stuff actually was coined by the Rockefeller Initiative. And Lawrence Rockefeller was a venture capitalist for Apple Computer. He also went on to marry a woman by the name of Mary French, who was an heir to the Northern Pacific Railway. Now, French, where have we heard that name before? Melinda Gates, her maiden name was French. Now, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, whose motto is fidelity, bravery, and integrity, was actually created by Charles Bonaparte, who was the great nephew of war criminal Napoleon Bonaparte. The Bonapartes intermarried with the Black nobility families, House of Borghese, House of Bourbon to Sicilies, and the House of Gabrielli's. I do think the FBI was created to overlook the crimes of the mafia and target their opponents. Not to mention the FBI had a counterintelligence program that was illegally carried out via surveillance, spying, and propaganda. And this lasted from the 1950s through the 70s, and it was all political. So if this happened way back then, like just imagine what is happening now. The FBI still operates and controls the same group, so nothing has changed. The mafia owns and controls Las Vegas, the NFL, the NBA, American casinos. And if you go back and watch my Trump video, uh, when I was on the Black Pill, he built his Atlantic City casino for the mob and for their money laundering. And what else do they own? They own professional wrestling. Vince McMahon is a billionaire from the Irish McMahon family who was linked to the Genovese crime family who almost killed him. Vince McMahon's wife, Linda, was in the Trump administration. The mafia also oversees the UFC, which is based in Las Vegas, and the UFC is owned by Zuffa LLC, which was started by the Fertita family. The Fertitta family is an Italian billionaire family that owns the Houston Rockets and Staging Casinos. This family donated to Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. And of course, this brings me to Joe Rogan, who happens to be an employee of UFC and happens to be Irish-Italian just like the Fertitos and the McMahons. And he happens to have the most popular podcast in the world. Now, the million-dollar question is, is Joe Rogan controlled opposition? Now, to answer this question, do we look at the UFC? Do we look at the Fertito family? Do we look who he has on his show? Or do we look at who funds Spotify? Now, Spotify is funded by the CEO, who is Daniel Ek, Bailey Gifford, the same people who fund the Pfizer vaccination and Netflix. And it is funded by Morgan Stanley. Now, Joe Rogan is operating on a level you or I will never understand, but I do think it is naive to think that he isn't acting as some sort of gatekeeper, not to mention he has that CIA guy on, Mike Baker, who never really reveals anything important. He also has repeated guests like Abby Martin, Tim Pool, and Alex Jones, who seem very sus to me. Now, I also discovered that Coast to Coast AM was controlled by Clear Channel, which is owned by Lowry Mays and Red McCombs, who are deeply tied into Texas politics, and they are financers of the Bush family. So I truly believe there is a stranglehold on information, obviously, and there is a very tight seal on it. not to burst anyone's bubble, but when I think of Edward Snowden, you know, he was propped up because he is part of the bloodline. He's cousins with Mark Zuckerberg. You know, he came out as this whistleblower, but when you really think about what he said, I mean, what did he say that we didn't already know? We all knew we were being surveilled. You know, if he really wanted to do something big, In my opinion, he should have released information about JFK or Roswell. You know, in his position, he would have had access to all of that. So that makes me believe Snowden was controlled or used as a distraction puppet. And when you take a step back and wonder how we got here, I always go back to the Jesuits, the Jew suits, the Jesuits. They run our Supreme Court. They run military and Congress. You know, I was shocked when I discovered that America has two constitutions. I'm not a lawyer by any stretch of the imagination, but I cannot believe lawyers from the past were able to betray our country at the level that they did. It's unfathomable to me. But it's because we were hoodwinked by the media. Nothing we have ever been told has been true, and these elitists have been protected, and they keep dividing to confuse us. And there is another interesting group that is tied to the Pilgrim Society that doesn't get much coverage, and it is the 1001 Club. This club was started by Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands, and it's the same guy who started Bilderberg Group. There is very little information on the internet about this group, but it is important. And I think because there is such little info, it makes it more intriguing. You know, what were these people doing? I have read that you needed to pay a one-time fee of $10,000 to join to be a lifetime member. And now this group is a financial endowment that helps fund the Worldwide Fund for Nature, which seems like a total front. A financial endowment are governed and managed as a nonprofit or charity or a trust of some kind. Financial endowments include museums, libraries, universities, private schools, and organizations like the Red Cross, which are all owned by the Illuminati. And so private endowments include some of the wealthiest entities in the world, like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Harvard University which are actually the wealthiest on record. And according to British journalist Kevin Dowling, the 1001 Club's members included men from Bilderberg, international bankers, and the South African elite. And this would tie into Elon Musk, where he comes from. And what's so bizarre about this organization is that it is set up to preserve wildlife. But what were these men really doing? Some people wrote that it was the secrecy of the group that bound these men together. They were able to participate in opportunities that were hidden from the mass population. But there was one incident that stood out to me, and it was called the Muldergate scandal of South Africa, where the Pretoria government was using their secret funds to buy control of newspapers and media around the world. That's pretty interesting. And I'm sure by now most everyone has heard of the World Fairs. Now, these have been going on since the late 1700s, and the first World Fair was held in Prague to showcase the coronation of Leopold II. If you aren't familiar with the World's Fairs, just Google them and look at these images, specifically the Chicago World Fair of 1893, which was a celebration to host the 400th anniversary of none other than Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbus coming to the new world under the House of Kelowna. Now tell me that is not a coincidence. And that ties the Black nobility all the way to the World Fairs and you just can't make that shit up. And with that being said, having all of these clubs and secret societies and organizations now tied to the World Fairs just makes me believe that All of history is a lie. It was rewritten and we probably will never know our true history, but there are pieces of the puzzle that we can put together and just know that it's not what they said it was. And that's a little empowering in itself. And that's all for me today. Thank you so much for listening to me. I hope you learned something and I will see you very soon. Thank you.